What is up, everyone? Welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show. I am your host, Nick Delatore. Today I got with me an absolutely cool dude. He's done so much cool stuff in his life. He's got some great stories to tell. He's got eyes that could cut diamonds and a head as soft as a baby's bottom. <laughs> Mr. Kirk Ross, welcome to The Awakened Catholic well, Show. Uh, yeah, and thank you for having me. I'm sorry if I, if I embarrassed you no, a little bit. No, not at all. Not at um, all. I love a good baby's butt, no doubt. <laughs> Who doesn't love yeah, a good baby's butt? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Today, this is not your grandmother's Catholic talk show. We're going to be talking about about church history, bad popes, like should you be Catholic despite the fact that there are bad popes, all that stuff's coming up right after this. for you, ladies and gentlemen. But before we get started, I got to tell you about The Awakened Nation. If you enjoy The Awakened Catholic Show and all the stuff being done here at Awakened Catholic, if in any way you have benefited from what is being done here at Awakened Catholic and you want to be a part of the community of people that make this all possible, then check out awakencatholic.org slash donate to join The Awakened Nation. Become a member today. Get access to exclusive content that only The Awakened Nation gets, as well as being a part of what makes all of it possible, being a part of the reason that this show exists and is providing uh, insight and, and life-changing information, getting to see my beautiful face, um, getting to enjoy Kirk's head here on the Awakened Catholic you Show. Go. You can be a part of what makes it possible. Visit awakencatholic.org slash donate, and you can, you can donate monthly for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a week, whether that's a small one or a big one, depending on the size of your bladder and your budget. Um, check out theawakencatholic.org slash donate and do it today. Make it part of your tithing, whatever it is. Pray about it. Do it. Uh, and then secondly, uh, a great place to get Awakened Catholic content is the Awaken app. There's no better place to interact with, with me and the rest of the show hosts, to interact with the rest of the Awakened Catholic community, uh, people like you who are on the journey, people like me who are on the journey trying to figure out this life, trying to figure out faith, figuring out how to become a saint, you know, to stand before God one day and him not be like, Haha, you suck, bye-bye, uh, but rather, welcome, good and faithful servant. So, so if you if you're on this journey, join us on the journey in the Awaken app by, by visiting theawakenapp.io uh, or searching for it in your app store of choice. And then uh, finally, uh, we have a couple of really cool events coming up here. Uh, actually, I think by the time this episode, you know what, we're going to release this episode partway through. You're getting two episodes in one week of the Awaken Catholic Show because I got to tell you why you should be Catholic and to find out. Come to this event. Uh, so visit awakencatholic.org to learn more about this event and to register for it. We have Jason Ever and Bishop Daniel Thomas uh, presenting at this event. It's going to be an amazing night. We have tons of cool sponsors. There's going to be a lot of cool booths there um, and great people. You'll see um, almost all of the Awakened Catholic show hosts there. Uh, visit awakencatholic.org to get your ticket, reserve your spot. If you reserve your spot ahead of time through the link, uh, then you get to pay whatever you want, whether that's a penny or more, um, and just come. We just want to fill those seats. And so between that and COVID restrictions, it helps out a lot if you could register ahead of time for this event. And then the the very next day, Jason Ever is presenting again on uh, the topic of sex, love, and porn, fighting the war against lust and pornography. And that is going to take place at St. Aloysius in Bowling Green, Ohio. Check it out. Again, register ahead of time to pay whatever you want. And for both events, at the door, it's going to cost $10. But if you if you register ahead, you can pay whatever you want, and it helps us out to know who's coming. So 
Thank you. That is all I got for you uh, when it comes to the announcements and the stuff that I got to plug at the beginning of these episodes. <laughs> Mr. Kirk Ross, welcome to Awaken Catholic. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. Oh, man. It was, you know, we actually were going to meet together anyways today, and exactly. I was just like, hey, we should we should make an episode. It, it, which actually worked out really perfectly. I got to say, you know, you talked about the event coming up, Why Be Catholic? Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes from Chesterton, somebody asked him that, why are you Catholic? They said, because it's true. So I'm going to give a spoiler for the whole event. That's going to be the end result of the talk. I'm sure they're a little more detailed than that, but I'm pretty pumped. My whole that's family's amazing. Going. Be pretty oh, cool. that's so great. Yeah, cool. I, I love that. That's that's such a, a very matter of fact and just objectively like straight to the point. Exactly. It's true. Yeah, it's exactly. just true. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how many of the greatest minds, the greatest thinkers in history have been uh, a fruit of the church. Right. No, it's, it's really amazing. Well, you know, one of the things, I know this is not exactly why we're here to talk today, yeah, yeah. but uh, one of the th- real sort of fundamental reasons I ended up becoming Catholic, you know, I'm a convert uh, as an adult, um, you stop and realize that it's really about just being in conformity with the nat- the actual fabric of the universe, the way the world actually is. So there is a real matter-of-fact reason to be Catholic it's because that's how the world is. That's how God is. That's how people are made. So I'm not doing anybody a favor by being Catholic or, you know, picking my philosophy of choice that seems to work for me. It's well, that's kind of the way the world actually is, so I might as well conform myself to it mm-hmm. for my own benefit, my own family's benefit, to be consonant with the natural order of things, or I can pretend that's not the way the world is, make right. myself miserable, and fight against it. Yeah. You know, the example I tell people, I can say that I don't believe in gravity, but if I trip, <laughs> you know what's going to happen? I'm going to yeah. fall over. That's exactly right? the same example I use when right. I talk about this. It's like, you know, just because you stop believing in gravity doesn't mean you're not going to die when you jump off a building. Exactly right. Uh, exactly. You know, what is simply is, regardless right. of how you feel about it. Hey, that's exactly right. Um, you know, as, as our, our, our Jewish brother uh, in the Lord says, Ben Shapiro, he says, <laughs> uh, facts don't care about your feelings. 100%. Exactly. You know, the fact that the Catholic Church is the truth and that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that he died and rose from the dead like no other person in history right. has been able to claim. Um, and the fact that it's a historical fact, you know, and then the fact that he instituted a church right. instead of leaving us a divine printing press to have Bibles in every house, right. which is a great thing that we have now that we have the printing right. press. Absolutely. It's a beautiful tool to use in, in our faith journeys, but it's not what like Jesus left us with. He left us with the church. He left right. us with the apostolic succession. Well, well I want to go back to something you just yeah. said a minute ago. Uh, when you talk to people about, well, how do you know what's true, for instance? One of the most profound things to me about the church is the historical nature of it. And uh, you can push back. I think it's pretty straightforward to prove the existence of God, you know, the first mover effect, all this kind of stuff. You can say, there is God. Well, how do we know this version of it? Well, to me, the historical event of only one person in all of history coming back from the dead to eternal life, that is singular and unique enough to say, hmm. That's something different I need to pay attention to. So the the historical reality mm-hmm. of the the church starting is to me one of the most profound proofs of the church. Yeah. You know, if somebody comes back to life and says, "Guess where I was?" Well, probably you don't want to pay attention, right? There's yeah. going to be something important coming next, yeah. like, namely the descent of the Holy Spirit, among other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Praise God for that. Before we get too much into um, some of the topics we wanted to cover today, the first topic. That everyone at home or in their car <laughs> wants to wants to see and listen to. Who are you, Kirk? Like, what well, what is your story? Because I I know you and and, I, and you got you got some story, man. Uh, pretty much, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and that's where I'm starting. <laughs> okay, I think you want a little more than that. Yes, though. yeah, yeah okay, that'd be fair great. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, actually, I'm a preacher's kid. 
Yeah. I grew up a Protestant uh, for actually a long line of preachers. Uh, both grandpas were preachers. My dad was a preacher. My brother's a preacher. My uncle's a preacher. Long thing. And I'm Catholic. Uh, married <laughs> with kids, actually. Um, so I actually grew up in a home where the truth was very important. Mm-hmm. Very uh, Bible-focused. Uh, and I appreciate that deeply and profoundly from my family. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about religious things. Uh, the love of the Lord was very important in our home. Uh, the rest of my family still, you know, we, we all love the Lord very much, and that is profoundly important to me as growing up. Uh, when I got older, though, uh, God invited me to follow him on a different path. Uh, mm-hmm. He showed me the truth of the church, and I was <laughs> darned if I was going to pay attention for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, I, I was... I had a real chip on my shoulder, uh, sort of the, uh, I know what I know, and that's just the way it is, and and God had just better get okay with that. Um, (laughs) And so uh, I actually went and studied abroad uh, in a very Catholic country historically, Austria, and while I was there, uh, God introduced me to a uh, a young lady. We're now married uh, with kids, which is fantastic. Um, She was searching for truth also. She was Catholic, but uh, probably hadn't taken her faith as seriously as uh, maybe she could have. And so we started investigating those things together. I did my darndest to convert her Mm. to uh, being Protestant. And in one of the most profound moments of our journey together, um, she just said, "I I just know being Catholic is right. Wow, and uh, despite all my proof texts and sola scriptura and all this kind of stuff, um, and, and God really used that moment to open my eyes to to realize that knowing about God is not the same thing as knowing God. Where wow. she didn't have the proof texts, but she just knew her Savior. Wow, and that was God saying, "Time to shut up and quit proof texting and just listen for a second. That's so interesting. And it it, it took many years yet beyond that, and there and there's some great stories. Um, about some time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, uh, about being introduced to the right people at the right time. Uh, you know, God had a lot of work to do on me, but uh, I, I remember the night, I was actually sitting in our apartment in Chicago at the time. My family had moved back to Toledo. I was getting ready to go in a couple of days. I was reading, I can't remember what I was reading, but I was reading some book, and there was just a moment where I finally could see the church the way I think the church sees itself, is that pilgrim through history getting it wrong every day, but just passing on the truth to the next generation. And that was the moment I realized, oh, mm. that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I actually, it still took a little while, and I went through RCIA after that. and <laughs> uh, But I got there, and that's been a tremendous blessing for me. Yeah. Meanwhile, I also finished law school, and we, like I said, we got married. And so I'm an, uh, now an attorney here in town working for a big university, um, trying to help make people make philanthropic gifts to, to bless other people. So That's awesome. Uh, I've got three fantastic kids, uh, two in college, uh, one, uh, at, she's 10 years old. So we uh, have a, our house out in the country. We spend a lot of time as a family, as much as we can, and trying to work out our salvation and fear and trembling as a family. And that that's that's the plan. That's that's the hope. Well, uh, and and your wife is amazing too. She's she's such a great woman. <laughs> uh, I I tell people I have the easy job, right? I go <laughs> I go out to the office every day or do my thing, whatever. She's yeah. been homeschooling our kids since day one. That's um, not a, that's. I mean, that's one of the hardest things you could do. I mean, that, that's combat pay yeah. right there. There's no doubt. And we have fantastic kids. Yeah. Um. But uh, my wife is one of the most fiercely loving people I've ever met. I married up. I, I'll just tell you that right now. Um, uh, she 
asks me, makes me be better. Um, and one of the most profound, you know, I'll probably use the word profound a lot today, but the day she told me she was going to trust me to provide for her and the kids so she could raise the kids, I thought, huh, I guess it's time for me to get on my horse and get this done. Hmm. Um, and I and I found that a very empowering thing. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we went to graduate school together. That was, uh, uh, we both studied in Europe at the same time. And I like to tell people that if you're going to fall in love with a beautiful woman, spending a year in Salzburg, Austria is not a bad way to do it, right? So uh, we, we had some great times learning and growing together. And we went to, we used to go to mass together in those big old huge cathedrals oh and everything. Yeah. Funny thing is, you know, I was very Protestant at the time and I had a chip on my shoulder mm. and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it's a reminder of the objective power of the sacrament. You know, I've, I was sitting there bathing in. Yeah, what was that like? Well, okay, so that's, that's a great story. Um, when I first started going to mass, it was very much... I just want to be next to this beautiful girl while mm-hmm. I convince her that this is the wrong place to be. So we're just going <laughs> to, um, and I would go and receive communion in the line because, Hey, I'm a Christian. You can't tell me I'm not a Christian. Uh, and, and did she know you were receiving? Oh yeah. I mean, we were doing it together. Right. Um, and like, she had no qualms with that. She didn't understand well, at the time. Maybe none of us, neither of us did. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, and, uh, we, we were very, working very hard to explore the topic of spirituality together, right? She was very engaged in that question. We were coming at it from very different approaches, but we were really, yeah, I, right. I think, engaging it together. And so there was a lot of things that we didn't understand yet that we grew to, um, I think. But, uh, you know, we'd, we'd go receive. Uh, then I'd turn around and walk out and wait, not wait for the end of Mass because peace out. Mm-hmm. I got this. You know, it was, it was very much a chip on my shoulder mm-hmm. kind of approach. Um, but I am confident that being in the presence of the sacrament for years is one way God can communicate his love to us. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm not very good at adoration. I like, know I mean today? I mean, like today. I, I yeah. still struggle mightily. Not with the concept. I mean, I, I know who's there, and that's probably why I'm not good at it. I find it very intimidating. Sure. You know, to be there alone with Christ, it, uh, that'll, that'll strip natural, you clean. That'll strip yeah. you clean in a second. Absolutely. But, um, but I, do re- I, I do know being in the presence of the sacrament is one way that God communicates his love to us right, yeah. directly. But um, so we went from there. Later on, we sort of made an, a, an understanding that we would go to Mass together. Um, I used to spend the entire Mass pointing out all the heresies that I thought, oh, well, that's bad, and that's bad, and that council said that's bad, and they can't do that. And, you know, again, that chip on my shoulder. But uh, that took me—it it, was—there were points where I would realize, oh, that's why they do that. Okay, mm-hmm. that's not as weird as I thought. But actually, one of the—probably the first moment when I participated in Mass as— you know, n- not fighting against it, but sort of spiritually uniting myself to that. We were sitting at a parish here in town, actually, and my wife looked at me. She said, well, "You agree with the Lord's Prayer, right?" <laughs> like, okay, that, that part that Jesus Himself said. Yeah, I guess I can't argue with that. And and she said it in a very inviting, yeah. very compassionate way. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, I can pray that. Yeah. So that was, you know, and you know, you know a lot of parishes people hold hands when they pray. Yeah. You know, you know, pre-COVID or whatever. But um, so that Sunday she held my hand and we said the Lord's Prayer as part of Mass together. And that was probably the first time I ever, you know, intentionally participated wow. in Mass. And, th- and then it grew from there. And I, I feel like it speaks a lot about her to persevere through so many liturgies with you, knowing that you had such a hang up and mm-hmm. that you were not present to it. You were there, you know, in a, in a sense, like kicking and screaming or in a yeah. sense, like, just so such a negative attitude towards totally. being there with her and like 
her persistence in allowing that to continue, she could have easily said, listen, just don't come. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that to me is so interesting. Like the patience and the humility in that is so beautiful. If you think that's the only thing she's had to persevere <laughs> through about me, you're wrong. But you're, you're absolutely right. She, One of the very beautiful gifts my wife gave me since the first day we met is she never sort of asked me to be Catholic. Like, well, look, if we're going to get married, you right. have to do this. Or what about the – she was like, you know what? Let's just – Let's just talk and let's keep doing it. She, yeah. Like I said, she had things to learn. I had things to learn. Right? Yeah. Um, we did agree when we had kids that uh, we would raise them in the church. But I was also real blunt. I said, we'll go to mass. And I'll teach my own kids what I think. Thanks mm. very much. And so, I mean, you notice everything I say had this big old chip sitting yeah, yeah. over here. Um, and, and, and so we kind of were working out what's the, what's the arrangement going to be, yeah. right? Now, one of the great blessings to me is that— God helped me find my way into the church before my kids were old enough to to recognize some of those theological disputes. Yeah, um, they were born right and baptized and that kind of thing. But by the time they were old enough to start asking questions, I had realized the truth of the faith. I'd come into the church and we were all on the same team as, as a yeah. family. Which which I know other families where moms and dads have reached that point later in life, and that creates some yeah. teaching challenges with the kids. Which and that's okay. We all have different challenges, but yeah. that's one blessing that, that that we were given. Yeah, and when it comes to the the kind of resistance that you felt mm-hmm. to like like what you just described about yeah we can go to Catholic mass on Sundays but I'm going to teach them what right. I you know I almost feel like I respect that because it's like you you do have a responsibility if you have a conviction that something is wrong like you have a responsibility to correct it and and to to do, convey what you believe is truth to your children if you're misguided. You're misguided, but right. you do have a responsibility because if not, there's almost like an indifference towards the well-being of your children. So, like, right. I I don't look down at all at what you were wrestling with and what you had taken it upon yourself to think in terms of how you were going to parent your kids at the time. Like, that was the right move because if you if you were right, then that was important. You, you can't lie to your kids, right? Whatever lying means, right? yeah. Um, and, and what well, I appreciate that, and I th- I think that is right. And one of the things that I can kind of, you know, sort of look inwardly and you try to evaluate yourself. What am I doing right, wrong, whatever. Yeah. One of the things I think I can say is that I became Catholic by conviction, not by association, right? My wife, like I said, never asked me to be Catholic. She was, she's like, we know we're called to be married. We actually had that conversation. We, we There were times where like, you know, let's just go our separate ways. But we both felt very called to the vocation of being married to each other. And so, well, if that's the vocation, then we got to figure this out. Um one of the, you know, one point my wife even suggested, why don't you go to Protestant church? And I'll go to Catholic church. And, you know, we've known families like that. And I was like, you know, wait a second. That, that, that's, that's not being, you know, to be, to becoming one. That's not united mm-hmm. in our love of the Lord. So uh, we didn't do that. But again, that was a tool God used to sit me down in front of the blessed sacrament and get straight. Um, so uh, I did have that chip on my shoulder. I was going to teach my kids what I thought was right. Um but I'm really glad that I had the chance to get my head or my heart, you know, let me phrase it, get my heart wrapped around right before my kids were old enough to have some of those conversations. Yeah, that is a huge blessing. And one of the biggest takeaways for me uh, was that heart part. Like I said, my, my wife, you know, when she, when she said, I just know it's right, I know she was speaking from an emotional or, or spiritual place, not an intellectual place. And I've, I, I'm the theologian, right? I, I love, I, I can quote creeds and catechism and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when God showed me 
that at some point you got to put the book down and you got to come stare me in the face. Mm. That that's the part I'm still not great at, yeah. but I recognize yeah. the profundity and the depth of that need. And that's a real tension for anyone that mm-hmm. gets excited about the faith and, mm-hmm. and starts to kind of, like even for me early on, like I just wanted to learn, learn, learn. Right. And that's a good thing. Like totally. you want to get to know the person you're falling in love with right. or, you know, the, the God that you're falling in love with. Um, it, it's a very natural and beautiful thing. However, like that can also become an impediment to you just oh, totally. walking with God. Totally. You know, if you if you go all in on the the intellectual side, you're really losing the relationship. Even if you think that you're growing in your relationship just because you're you're learning more, that's really not how that works. Right. The relationship grows through prayer first and foremost. Right. And and so I told I relate to what you're describing. Well, and it's my background as a Protestant. It was a very small non-orthodox type group. I grew up a non-Trinitarian, for instance. Whoa. And it was, and, and so that group, my denomination, was sort of defined by its theology. That's one of the reasons we were so serious about the Bible. Yeah. Is because we, you know, we were protecting the true faith from all the heresy out there. So you can imagine going to Mass, being non-Trinitarian, yeah, and like, yeah. that's wrong, and that's wrong, and so, that's wrong. So literally, wrong. are you saying that because the word Trinity is not in the Bible, that they did not believe in the Trinity? That's, okay. That's oversimplifying it. Okay, give, but, break it but, down but, just like to okay, whatever okay. degree is well, well, possible. The, the degree was that Jesus was just human, was just was not divine. I mean, dude, that's it's just so you know, there are more than there are a number of groups that believe that in America today, right? It was in it, okay. If you want to really geek out on us, I can geek out all day. Let's but, go. Let's okay, go. Okay. So deep dive. Okay, there were there was a group of, called the Ebionites in Ethiopia in like the second century. They were non-Trinitarians. They believed in only a human Jesus, but they believed that he was not uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was just a human adopted by God later to be the Messiah. Okay. There's first example of non-Trinitarianism. Then you get to the Arianists, uh, the Arians of the fourth century yeah. where they admitted that Jesus was divine, but he wasn't God. Yeah. Okay. So now we got a new version of non-Trinitarianism, yeah. right? Then you get up to the 16th century and this is sort of the roots of the group I grew up in. Um, the radical or parts of the Reformation in this new age of everybody can read the Bible for himself and just sort of decide what it means. Mm-hmm. Among other things, they decided that that the, the New Testament taught that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but just as a human, and so he was just human. So what's the point? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> like, um, why why make these distinctions yeah. that are so absurd? Well, yeah, I will say it is. There's there's some very profound differences. Okay. Oh, yeah. In, in, for instance, in a non-trinitarian theology, God did not unite Himself to mankind, because there's no incarnation. I see. There's just a human being yeah. who was totally dependent and totally obedient to God, right. who offered Himself as a sacrifice. So the idea is that it changes the nature of our relationship with God. Totally. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's, now you, all you have is transcendent God. Okay, that never, we cannot ever ascend to his right, right, yeah, dignity. Um, and we yeah. had no concept of sort of the divinization of the right. human. It, it, this not even a concept. Well, a lot of people still don't have a concept of that. That are even you know Catholic. Yeah, and I will admit I'm. I, that's not something I spend a lot of time working out. I know. Yeah, it's but the there, fact but, that you know it exists, yeah, most people right. don't even know that that exists. Right. I know in the Orthodox tradition, that's a real strong element. Yeah, because they're probably better at mysticism. Yeah, than we agreed. are sometimes. But, Absolutely. Um, but I also <laughs> we didn't practice infant baptism. Uh, I was I was baptized as a, a nine or ten year old I think uh, we did not believe in an immortal soul 
Um, so death was simply the end of the human until the resurrection Whoa, later. That to me, yeah. that's like. I'm telling you, I had a long, I, God had a lot of work to do. So I, I knew that some of these heresies surrounding like Jesus's, you know, humanity versus mm-hmm. divinity. I knew that I knew about those heresies early in the church. Right. I didn't know that there were still people like preaching that gospel. I, I was hardcore. Pre- That's the gospel I was trying to preach to my future wife oh when I was trying gosh. to make her Protestant. So not only is Jesus not God, but you're, when you die, you don't go anywhere. Right. You might as well be an atheist. I mean, <laughs> well, now we taught that there is a coming resurrection and we kind of brought, you know, a, a when Jesus would return, bring people back to life, kind of the in the rapture evangelical okay. kind of sense of the term. Right. Yeah. Which didn't appear until the 19th century. But that's another thing. Um, so that's just, you know, we kind of, in a sense, didn't have any anything to do with most of church history. We were the separate. But wait, in, in the second coming, mm-hmm. was there a resurrection yes. of the dead? And at the second coming, there's a resurrection of the dead, at which point. You are. We would be alive in the kingdom on earth. Okay. okay. So, oh, so there is an afterlife. there is an afterlife, okay. but not in between. Right? Okay. I see. Because the, the, the point was there: the human soul is not naturally immortal. Gotcha. Right. We yeah. understand that once a human soul is made, it is destined for eternity, one yeah. way or another, and that we are both spiritual and corporeal. Right. We that have a body no, and a spirit. And like, you can't be fully human unless yeah. you have both of those. Right. right. Yeah. Um. So we also denied that there was any eternal hell. That that. Only the righteous were brought would be would be brought back to life in the resurrection. Look at me when I'm talking to you. I'm sorry. I'm just like I'm, my, my my mind is like, where did these people come from? No, no. I mean, so, and here I have to be. I don't want to be cutting or dismissive because the truth is, the Bible is a more complicated book. When you're when you're sola scriptura, right? Which yeah. of course is not biblical, right? Right. But you can find support for a lot of things. Sure. That you want. If so, you're cherry picking. Well, well, let's okay. see. I, I, I have I have theorized for a while and I've said this on the show before. Mm-hmm. You're on a stranded island mm-hmm. and in the wreckage, the only thing you find is a Bible. Right. And you have no uh, pretense, no prior right. biases. You read the Bible, full salvation history. Mm-hmm. I really believe you end up with the Catholic Church. I really, really believe that if you look at objectively with no bias, no prejudice at what happens in Matthew 16 and you look at what happens in the Acts of the Apostles and you look at what happens at Pentecost and, and like all these different things, like I really, really believe that you end up with the Catholic Church, all things considered, all prejudices aside. You end up with the church. I think there's no doubt about that. Yeah. I will say with confidence that not all of Catholic theology is explicitly stated in the New Testament. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. so there's stuff that you wouldn't just figure out. Yeah, sure. I will say, and this this is just Kirk Ross talking, right? This is I okay. Okay, so you're speaking on behalf of the Catholic Church formally? Super not, <laughs> absolutely not. Right? Um, I think the Trinity is not super boldly stated in the New Testament. Let me give you an example. When Jesus says, "The Father is greater than I," Bible verse, right? Right. Yeah. It's not automatic to take from that. Therefore, the son and the father are co-equal mm-hmm. when he just flat out said the father is greater than. Now, can we understand that correctly? Right. Absolutely. Or uh, when Jesus says, I only am here to do the will of my father in heaven. Right. You can read those verses in a way that say yeah. there's some separation. Right? Or even the notion that Jesus prays to the father like that, that, right. that can lend itself. Exactly. To I, you, and you, without malice or without, you know, the chip on your shoulder, you can read those yeah. that way. Sure. It's, it's when you read through the eyes of the church. Especially when you combine that with the fact of the Eucharist, which is flat. That is flat out spelled in the New Testament. Correct. That is the universal practice of the church. Yeah. What the heck are you doing in the Eucharist if if Christ isn't 
God, right? So, yeah, you get there, but but I want to have grace for people honestly searching to recognize for sure. that a text does not automatically present itself. Sure. Which is why Christ didn't give us the Bible. Christ gave us the church. Yeah. Right. Then the church said, here, we're going to write some of this stuff down as a tool to help people, but that does not replace the church. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I find it very profound that Jesus didn't write a thing. And when the first apostles spread the word, they didn't have anything written down. Right. You know, Paul's letters were written to churches with whom he'd already shared the gospel. Right. He didn't write letters saying, please read this and become Christian exactly. immediately thereafter. Yeah. Right. Everything in there is, I already taught you this. It was supplemental. Everything in the New Testament is supplemental. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's all true, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's all correct, obviously. But I recognize that he, you know, none of the New Testament is written as a theological treatise. Mm-hmm. And I do have... Again, this is just my view. I think everybody in the new church, the, the apostles, all knew Jesus was divine. Right? By the time he got oh, yeah. done teaching, he's divine. Exactly what that meant about the relationship between the Son and the Father, I don't know that they had worked that out yet. Yeah. Um, well, and, 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 and there that, were passages like, I and the Father are one. Totally. Right? Right. So like, and that's where I meant, what I meant about the cherry picking. Like, If you look at some of the other passages right. that are more confusing without looking at I and the Father are one, yeah, for sure, that's super right. confusing. Or, but, or, or John 1, you know, the word became flesh and death yeah. among us. Totally, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Um, and then you go the Jehovah's Witness route and you know rewrite the Bible so that it works for right. you. Or the Thomas Jefferson route and just take out the parts he didn't like. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, so if you – I think it's crystal clear in the New Testament, Christ gave us the church. That, that's, yeah. that, that is so the ship that. sailing through history. Yeah. The church has given us some of the Bible yeah. and said, we're writing this down because it can't be changed. It's 100% correct, mm-hmm. properly understood. I, I took a, a history class in mm-hmm. college at BGSU, right. uh, and the class was titled Christ and Caesar – and super interesting class, and I didn't last more than about three weeks in it because <laughs> the teacher was a joke. He literally that. proposed in the class that—and this is this is meant to be an objective secular history right. class. He proposed in the class that Jesus Christ did not come to institute a church. What? And I literally rose my hand, and I said, have you read the New Testament? Right. The historical document? Have you yeah. have you read the Gospel of Matthew, right. which is all, almost entirely about the establishment of the kingdom of God here on right. earth in, in the in the context of the church? Uh, and his response was very snarky and very you know right. elitist, intellectual. Right. And then I dropped out of the class because I said I'm not going to put myself through a th- semester of this bullcrap. Right. Well, um, I, I will say to that point, yeah. One of my favorite sections of the Bible, and I, there's a lot of history in there, right? But if you take the books of Luke and Acts, you know, it, Luke was a uh, doctor. Or medical person, whatever they called it back then, um, he w- he did not know Christ during Christ's lifetime, so he he learned the faith from others. He said, "You know what? Somebody's got to write this down." So you read those two books. He wrote them actually as long letters to a guy named Theophilus, and it says it right in the introduction. Mm-hmm. Here's the history of what happened. So if you're a history guy, you want to know just tell me the story, tell me what happened. You read Luke and Acts as one long passage. I don't know how you come out of that well, without really thinking cool. you have anything other than. Yeah. Peter and the boys are here to establish a church, spread the faith, love others, love God, and get on with things. Yeah, uh, and I—that's that, some of my favorite stuff. That's awesome to read. That makes me yeah. want to go do that next well, myself. It, it, you know, that, that's one of the funny things about the Bible: it, it, the way we're used to the way it's organized, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, they're, they're just yeah. individual pieces. But sometimes, if you kind of 
mix and match it a little bit and yeah. realize what people were writing it for. Yeah. You know, if you online, you can find things like chronological order of the New Testament, like what yeah, order did yeah. Paul write his letters in. Sometimes that gives you a much greater sense of the flow of what they were talking yeah. about. You know, Luke writes these books to Theophilus to say, I'm trying to convince you of the historical reality of what happened, right? Yeah. So if you're taking a history class at BGSU from a professor and hasn't read that primary document about exactly the thing he's talking about, yeah, I mean, come on. Or read it and was just somehow oblivious to such yeah. an obvious. You know, another example of what you're talking about is in the Book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at Chapter 12, which is notoriously famous for the fact that you know it supports Marian doctrine that you know she's the queen because she got crowned right. in this vision. <laughs> well, not only it doesn't just do that. If you if you take it in a broader context, if you uh, ignore the fact that there's a chapter division right before right. 12, right. the very immediate verse previous to chapter 12 at the end of chapter 11 mm-hmm. is that it was a vision of the ark of the covenant appearing which had gone missing right and then it becomes the woman who is crowned so the the full That's complete insane. idea of that yeah. vision is not just the, the coronation of mary it's the fact that she is the new ark of the covenant yeah that's awesome it's so amazing, yeah. and we lose those things because of you know the way that the right. layout or the chapter breaks or whatever. Yeah, and all those uh, layouts are good and helpful. Sure, but you're right. You have to try to get over them sometimes exactly. and realize what are we writing. You know, like, yeah. like Paul didn't use periods, right? So just long <laughs> lines of Greek letters that doesn't help anybody, right? right. But um, if you can remind yourself of what they were writing at the time and what they how they laid it out and that kind of stuff, there is some meaning yeah. there to pull yeah. out of there. Yeah. That's all right. So this is a great segue, Kirk. Right. We're gonna jump into the Kerygma speed <laughs> round. Um, all right. All right. So. First right. question for you. Are you ready for this? Shoot. All, All right. right. From the hip, who is Jesus to you? The nature of reality. Okay. I mean, in all seriousness, the reason we love Jesus is because that's the way we're made. That's the fabric of the universe. I'm just getting on board with the way I was made. Mm. And because of that, the nature of reality is God loves. God just loves. Yeah. That, he, that, that's uh, one of the most profound things to yeah. me. God just is love. Yeah. And that love is the nature of reality. Wow. And I'm going to pause the Kerygma speed round here because I want to ask you for in, in that response, um, you know, connecting that to the story that we just covered mm-hmm. of your life and, and where you had come from, from a, a faith background uh, in the de- denomination you were in. Like, what was it like transitioning to a new understanding of who Jesus was? Well, there's a question. Yeah, no, sorry. No, no, no that, that's actually a great one. And one of the great blessings for me, OK, is there's one strong sense in which before I was Catholic, I was very familiar with Catholic theology because you want to know which theology we always use as our example of the wrong theology, the Catholic, the Catholic theology, right? <laughs> so awesome. in that sense, I was always really quite familiar with it. Yeah. So I didn't have to learn Catholic theology as much as flip the script and realize, oh, I'm looking in the mirror the wrong way. Interesting. So now I will say the real presence in the Eucharist, uh, that, that I got that. Okay. Um, the, the authority of the church, done. Piece of cake. Uh, uh, Mary? I never even really had a big problem with Mary. As soon as I acknowledged that there was such a thing as an immortal soul, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. The thing that was like a dirty word to me was calling myself a Trinitarian. Wow. Dude, I, so dude, I, I, I almost couldn't get the word to come out of my mouth. And even when I wrote down later some of the things that really were a challenge for me coming into the church— Trying to write sort of a chapter or an essay on how I came to peace with the Trinity, dude, that took forever. Mm. Um, just getting, trying to think through my own experience. That was, I had such an emotional connection to being what we called Unitarian or non-Trinitarian that just letting that part go was extraordinarily difficult in an emotional way. Wow. Even when I think I could intellectually acknowledge, okay, that, that has to be true, especially once you accept the authority of the church, 
It's not like the church is ambiguous on this point, right? So, so that was the piece. That took a couple of years, even after coming to the church. If, you, if you'd asked me, do you affirm the Trinity? Yeah. You know, that's yeah. about kind of what I had. But I did, intellectually. Yeah. But that took a couple of years. And I, I still kind of sit in that yeah. a little bit, trying to— not understand the Trinity, right? That, that <laughs> the one but, yeah. thing that you just can't yeah, write forget, that right. off. But, yeah. but but just d- to sit and grow in comfort with that, and and I, yeah. and I think I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I certainly affirm it with great enthusiasm. Now that's, yeah, yeah. That, that that's just true. But that still it still sounds a little funny on my tongue. Yeah, you know. So I'm still working on. So that. that's almost on an intellectual side. How did that? How did that manifest? That transition. Uh, how did the transition manifest in your relationship with Jesus? It very much went from being an intellectual relationship with information to recognizing a savior mm. of of just recognizing that you're called to fill a vocation. And I'm never going to say this very well, but the idea that you were put here by God to do some stuff to love others on his behalf. So in, in a sense, you're an agent or a trust, let's call it a trusted servant. You know, th- think about the a parable of the talents where the master says, here's some talents. I'm going to go do my thing. I'll be back in a while. Mm-hmm. I think I, I sometimes, sometimes think about our relationship with Jesus in that way a little bit. Right now, I've been given my talents, you know, money or whatever it is. And Christ has gone away to do his thing, Right. I feel I find great comfort knowing I've been trusted with that. Terrified, completely, sure. right? Um, when, when you've got a family entrusted to your care, you know that that's profound and humbling and scary and wonderful. Um, so I think more of my, I, I guess my relationship with Christ feels a lot like that trusted servant sent out to do His work. You're going to be held responsible for that work when the time comes. Um, but I find that pretty powerful. Uh, kind of, kind of like if your parents trust you to go do something, right? That you're not going to get right 100, percent but they're trusting that you're going to, yeah, you're going to do what you, your, your job. And so yeah. I, um, I know other people like you know think about the, the little flower, you know, that very profound inward feeling of Christ. Sure, we all get to share some prayer time with Christ is really powerful, but I guess I think more about the. I've been trusted with the work I need to go do, mm. um, which is to love others and love God, interesting, best I can, yeah. Um, uh, I just feel like someday if, if I'm given the gift of standing at the pearly gates, uh, first question is going to be, did you, <clears throat> did you do the work I gave you to do? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, sure hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Amen yeah. to that. I, nice. Yeah. Like that, that's, it's very challenging thought, but it's also one that should propel us right. into action to not just be um, content with comfort content with our yeah. comfort zones content with like well i'll do i'll do this much and that'll be kind of me putting a little deposit into doing right. a christiany thing but the rest of my life i'm going to yeah. you know yeah god wants all of us right. and and i will say that the thing that i the place that i have more room to grow is to be more cognizant and more aware of the holy spirit walking with me in that work mm-hmm. now i yeah. know, again i know that intellectually um but I, I still, yeah. my, my mental image is very much sort of God there, and I'm here doing my thing, which, right. which is not bad. We're called to use our own efforts and energies. Yeah, and yeah. But I also know, and, I, and I've known in very profound ways once in a while, 
that Christ is there walking with you. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's the part of my spirituality that I I I would benefit from yeah. focusing on. I feel like it was a Mother Teresa thing, maybe, or it's like uh, work like everything depends on you and pray like everything depends on God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, yes. Yeah, so I have discovered a depth of ways that my relationship with Christ could grow. Mm-hmm. Not. I'm just. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I'm never going to be there for that matter. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's opened my eyes to the the absolute ocean of love God is trying to share with us. Yeah. So far, I've got about a half a foot in the water, mm-hmm. right? And there's a whole ocean waiting. So, you know, it, maybe that's the nature of my relationship to realize exactly how infinitely that goes. And I'm, you know, we, we don't know anything about how much God can love us yet. Oh, man. Ain't that so, the truth? And on that note, let's jump okay, right okay, back okay, into the Kerygma right. speed round. Question number two, right, number two, elevator pitch. You're on an elevator with someone and and you have one chance to tell them why they should live their life walking with Jesus as a Christian. Because that's the way you were made. Okay. That, 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 that is, and I don't mean that in some sort of duty way. It's like, go ahead and just be who you are. Mm. We talk about, I want to be my authentic self. Well, that's a child of the most high. That, that's yeah. that's who you are, who you were made. If you would just get out of your own damn way, yeah, you would just sink into the joy of living the way you were made. That's beautiful. So that, that usually takes more than 30 seconds to get yeah. out. But, you know, but I mean, that, that idea is like, yeah. just, and that was one of the big things for me, just get out of your own way. Yeah. Quit trying to negotiate with God. Like, okay, I'll believe this as long as you let me do this and then mm-hmm. we'll be good, right? Right. No, it's already there. And yeah. that, that, that to me was one of the most important, I think, I talked about looking in the mirror the wrong way, mm-hmm. going from religion being something I discover or, or, or make out of my own reading of the Bible to it's already there. Mm-hmm. It exists whether you believe it or not. So you can either choose to recognize that, conform yourself to that and love that or fight against it and rail against it and reject yeah. it. And either way, there's a strong sense of which it doesn't really matter. Yep. You know, yep. the truth is just true. Yep. So you can either agree with it or not. And it's still just as true. So I guess that's what I would tell somebody in the elevator. You want to, you ought to be a Christian because that's just who you are anyway. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's the nature of reality. That's who you were meant to be. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Question number three. Okay. Elevator pitch for life, specifically as a Catholic Christian. Okay. It is the fullest presence of Christ on earth. The fullest presence of the truth on earth. Mm. Kind of if if the elevator pitch to be Christian is that's the nature of reality. The fullest. Uh, what's their um, expression expression or, fullest yeah. expression of that is in the faith is in mm-hmm. the eucharist most specifically but in the faith that's all the truth that christ wanted to give us mm-hmm. it's all there that's awesome not all the truth that there is right there's a lot of things about god and yeah. what exactly was the deal with lucifer rejecting god you know whatever you know a lot of things we don't need to know mm-hmm. but everything we god wants us to know is there in the church yeah amen that's so, beautiful great job well, that was a solid kerygma speed round <laughs> with, the, with the slight interjection to, to dive into something that's beautiful it's so interesting to me how you know you and i both in our in our uh journeys have some experience you a lot more than me yeah. in uh unitarian mm-hmm. uh you know culture and, and the faith approach uh my, mine was specifically unitarian universalist right. um yeah, don't recommend it. Anyways, it's <laughs> super interesting, uh, and I don't meet a, I don't meet a lot of people that have made that kind of transition from Unitarianism, uh, and so, that's because there aren't many. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God bless you if you're one of them, uh, but yeah, yeah, come home. Right. Uh, anyways, so yeah, there was this recent thing. Uh, we have a Unitarian church uh, mm-hmm. nearby, and um, 
they they had you know occasionally when they're like oh what are we going to believe now they'll have like you know a voting <laughs> situation kind of like what yeah. is it the Methodists that do yeah, the, the, yeah, the congregationalists right. vote on doctrine? yeah yeah right. yeah and there was this vote recently on like uh, they, they, I mean they were putting themselves out there with right. this one you know you know uh, was you know should we right. allow our congregants. Uh, to enjoy the Catholic Weird Stuff segment of the Awakened Catholic Show. <laughs> uh, you know, and it was an interesting 50-50 split. Oh, and so, of course, they had to divide into two separate <laughs> congregations. You're saying you Protestant know, groups split over Yeah, you know, it started out as like one of them meets at 9, one of them meets at 11, just until the next building Renting gets built. Eggs, right. Yeah, right, yeah. Got it. Exactly. Uh, so anyways, you know, here at Awakened Catholic, we are happy to oblige the 50% that wanted it. There you go. And if you're in the 50% that didn't want it, come on over, right. enjoy the yep. video anyways. Let's roll the thing. <laughs> All right, today we're going to be talking about uh, why we should still be Catholics and why we should still believe in the papacy despite the fact that there have historically been some no bueno popes <laughs> that you are um, right about that and i'm going to i want to share uh, to to kick us off here and then i'm going to pass it over to you uh, mm -hmm. kirk we're, we're going to start with something so i had i'm going to start this by uh, with a story I, I i was in college and i was still like just recently converted back to catholicism and i was meeting with this pastor of non denominational uh, church that met there on campus and stuff and uh i had a lot of friends and, and close people that were attending that church and i met with this guy for coffee this pastor and it was kind of like an interesting thing where i was still recently converted super passionate but still like hungry to learn and it's kind of still in that window of time where if you're if you're wrong about something you want to know you know like and i'm obviously if i'm wrong about something now i want to know right. but i was in a very blatantly exploratory phase right. um Kind of get up in people's grill. Yeah. What, what, what? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I was, you know, I was trying to bring some, he, he was, man, I don't even know how to tell this it, because the context was so interesting and unique. He, so he's this Protestant pastor. He wanted probably to convert me to his line of thinking. And I was open to having a conversation to that end while also like having enough in my arsenal by this point that I could refute every point he made and was right. essentially getting to a point where I wanted to convert him, There you, go. you know, and I'm just this college student and he's this, you know, grown up pastor. Um, so anyways, the, the biggest thing that he brought up because I, and I looked at Matthew 16 with him, like if, like if, uh, I was the first person to ever present that to him. <laughs> to Have you seen this before? Yeah. Right, yeah. What was I thinking? Um, and he literally told me, and I, this has stuck with me forever. He literally told me, I, believe that peter was the first pope and i wish that we still had that because you it tell would... him you know it's available yeah yeah right right uh but he said to me he wishes that he could have that and that it was still legitimate and that the reason he doesn't believe in it anymore is because of these bad popes in history that he believes broke the line of succession okay so right. that was his belief right so i in my, you know, witty... Because <laughs> I know stuff. <laughs> I know stuff. In my, in my witty, like, learning a bunch of stuff mode, uh, what... Uh, I'm so busy telling the story, I can't even think of which book I'm trying to open right now. Oh, Isaiah, I think. Um, anyways, so 
in my in my wittiness or whatever i'm like well let me let me just show you something else here in the old testament so i told the guy listen man uh i let me just show you another passage here it's in the book of isaiah chapter 22 um and it's interesting to me so the vicar so jesus uh is in the line of david right and in in the davidic kingdom there was always this vicar of the king. And so this is a guy that when the king is out of town, the vicar speaks on his behalf. The vicar uh, would walk around the kingdom gates with this massive ceremonial key mm-hmm. that he would use to ceremonially lock or unlock the, the gates of the mm-hmm. kingdom. Uh, and so this this passage in the book of Isaiah is super interesting because what you find in this is that the the role of the vicar was not based on whether or not like he was good like th- that was an office that withstood the test of the morality of the right. vicar right. and so in this passage um basically we got a bad vicar on our hands right and the Lord is like I am kicking you out right. you know and you almost get that visual when you're reading this that the Lord is literally like kicking him out with his feet right. you know so um I'm just going to read this real quickly. It's super interesting. So, thus says the Lord God of hosts, come, go to the steward, the steward being the vicar, uh, to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, what have you to do here, and whom have you here, that you have hewn here a tomb for yourself, you who hew a tomb on the height, and carve a habitation for yourself in the rock? Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and round and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die and there shall be your splendid chariots. You shame of your master's house. I don't want to be this guy. No, no. Yeah, you don't want to be this guy. I will thrust you from your office and you will be cast down from your station. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your belt on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. Mm -hmm. And I will fasten him like a peg in a sure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house, and they will hang on him the whole weight of his father's house. Like there, that's that sounds like the papacy. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. the pope, yeah. right? Uh, a father to the nation. Right. Like we call the pope Papa, Pope. Pope right. means father, right? Like th- there's so much here. Um, he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. Well, the key. Whatever you, has the keys to whatever the you bind on earth will be yeah. bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. And then the key, like right. literally Jesus tells Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of right. heaven and whatever you bind on earth. And, and so, but but the real key here is that, not the key, uh, the real key here is that <laughs> the Lord is determining here, you were bad at this. You You did some naughty stuff. And so I'm kicking you out. But the authority of that office remains, and right. someone else is going to pick up that mantle. Someone else is going to pick up those keys. And the same is true for the papacy because the Davidic king in Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus the king, he's leaving for a while. He's using his Davidic kingdom vicar, mm-hmm. and that's the pope. Right. So, right. Right. you know, the whole idea that a bad pope breaks the lineage is nonsensical. It's just not how that works. I think there is a profound 
misunderstanding there about personal worth yeah. and sort of the constitution of the church. I'm going to give you an example. There are a lot of dads in the world who suck at being dads. True. They're mean to their kids. They abandon their kids. They don't provide for their kids, whatever. Do they stop being the dad? Mm. No, they're, they're the dad, right? Yeah. Just like, can you have priests that are really bad at their job? Yeah. Yeah, they, they ab- abandon their flock. They're they, uh, sacrilegious. They blah, blah, blah. They still a priest? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the real short version is a pope can be a really bad person. And we've had some really bad people be popes. Doesn't mean they're not the pope. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that 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 they change the constitution of the church. And if I want to, you know, pull out another uh, an example that the, the first century church would have been pretty familiar with, there was a high priest of the Jewish people at the time who by the way called for the crucifixion of Christ. Oops. Yep. Right? It didn't mean, you know, Christ himself was still going to the synagogue, said it is right that we celebrate these things. It is right that he is the priest. You notice that Jesus never called out the priest or the, the high priest to say, you know what? We're getting rid of the high priest. Yeah. You're, we're, we're, I don't have to believe you anymore because you're bad. Well, Christ he says, said that. he literally says the opposite in right. Matthew, I think it's 18 or 19. Uh, he says to... You should do the former without abandoning the latter. In other words, you should no, keep loving people, no, he, but also he says, do the church stuff. He says, do what they tell you right. to do, no, no, not no. what they do. Exactly. Exactly right. So he's saying, obey. And he literally says, because he sits on the chair of Moses. And then you hear right. us as Catholics, in, in the fulfillment of what Judaism was meant to become, referring to the chair of Peter. It's the same language Jesus used for the authority of these guys. And think about when the apostles first come out of the day of Pentecost and start sharing the news, mostly with Jews at first, right? Yeah. Every Jew's experience was that there is a church, there's an organization of religious authority, right? Mm -hmm. Every single one of them recognized that. So when Peter and the gang were out sharing that, it would have been automatic that there's some sort of religious authority helping us clarify these things. Mm-hmm. So then the fact that it's super clear that it's Peter and the other apostles who then go on to start teaching. And what I find ex- extraordinarily important, first thing they do is start appointing leaders in other cities. And most people forget this. Yeah, You know what you don't find in the New Testament anywhere? A congregational vote <laughs> yeah. on anything. And I mean that in all yeah. seriousness. I grew up in you know lots of churches where people vote on who the pastor is going to be yeah. or what denomination we're going to belong to. They're, and they say— we just want a New Testament Christianity. Well, and drop the the congregational votes because there's not nary a one of them in yeah. the New Testament, right? Um, yeah. And, and so the idea that those apostles then went on to appoint leaders and you know became priests and bishops, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. that's as biblical as you can get. Yeah. Okay. Now I would, I'm going to agree, or I want to dig into what that, that pastor was talking about a little bit that you were okay. talking yeah. to, right? Um, the well. You become that bad of a person that destroys apostolic succession, right? That is something that Catholics really have. We've got to engage that question, right? Mm. Because it is really easy to conflate personal goodness with religious authority. Because in, that should be the right answer, right? Mm-hmm. Our pope should be the, the leader of the church organizationally and spiritually, right? We want a pope who is just living the faith, yeah. loving people, being an example that we can all aspire to. That's the idea, right? Yeah. Well, Christ was the one that did that trick, right? Yeah. He got that covered, right? <laughs> yeah. Since then, every pope has been a fallen human being. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So Even Peter. Yeah, absolutely. And even right? that pastor agreed Peter was the first pope. 
Right. And so on his point, I'd say, well, then what happened to apostolic succession just <laughs> right. stopped? Right. right? So, um, that, that divinely instituted thing, just oops. Right. Yeah. Anyway, but that's a different thing. But uh, the what we struggle with as Catholics is then we want to defend bad popes to say, mm-hmm. oh, no, it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. He only killed a few people in wherever or only let an army against these people. You know, I think one of the things that's really important for us to do is to go ahead and acknowledge immorality when we see it. You have to. You have to call it. And and I think that makes for a lot more... It helps us narrow down the actual questions. Yeah. Right? Um, What is... When we talk about the Pope, what what are the jobs that are unique to the Pope? Loving your neighbor? That's not unique to the Pope. Mm -hmm. Right? Fidelity to the truth? That's not unique to the Pope. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of things I had to learn about the office. For instance, the Pope does not invent truth. He doesn't just get to decide, here's what dogma is today. Mm-hmm. To our earlier point, there's already truth there. His job is simply to confirm that which was already taught, right? right. And clarify that which is already taught. Correct. And address new questions that come up consistent with that which is already taught. Right. So I, I think that's a big misconception of the Pope, that he just gets to make stuff up and say, okay, all you Catholics now have to believe it. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the Pope— Clarifies and defines the truth, which is already true, right? And then he organizes the discipline of the church, you know, and that's a place where every single thing you've ever been in has some sort of organizing principle, organizing person, yeah, in a family, in a business, in a whatever. So, if we think unity of worship is important, which I don't know, Christ thought unity of worship was important, then the Pope's going to have a role. Yeah. Right. It's sort of the, the top of that pyramid. Is, and, isn't it John 19, Jesus's prayer for, is it John 16 that, or 19, uh, prayer for yeah. unity amongst the, the, the church? No, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. Now, I, and I actually think that's where the Orthodox, who have so many things right, miss that, yeah. that one thing. Uh, they think we're going to have this divinely inspired constitution of the church until the committee at the top. Mm-hmm. And that... You know, we just because we're going to stop right there, and that doesn't make any sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if we think about it, those are the two jobs of the Pope: d- defend and clarify doctrine, and organize the discipline of the church. Things that aren't those, and well, and even within that, you can split some hairs. But things that aren't those aren't unique to being Pope. So those don't define the nature of that Pope, right? Mm-hmm. So if we can go ahead and acknowledge, there are some real immoral, terrible people who have sat on the seat of peter i think that gets us a long way towards defending that which is actually true yeah right um i also firmly stand on christ's words that to whom much is given much is expected and there are gonna be some popes who i presume have already had some pretty tough conversations with their lord and savior and have yeah. reaping the whirlwind of their choices right like yeah. we all will right yeah uh and of course we pray that they're all made it through purgatory and whatever but yeah the historical record, such as it is, would suggest that some of them yeah. might not. Yeah. Right? Um, the, the, so I think in a lot of conversations with people, you get sort of the, well, what about the Crusades? That was bad. What about you know the Inquisition? That was terrible. And what about this pope? He was so bad. We need to engage those questions and yeah. talk about every Christian fails to live the Christian life like he or she should. Yeah. Right. And that can be on the organizational level. That can be you know on the national level, on the individual level. But that doesn't change what the truth is. Right. And so we have to go ahead and say there have been bad Catholics and good Catholics who did bad things. Right? Yes. We live in an age with not a lot of mercy or forgiveness. Right. We got to build that back into the conversation. Yeah. And I, I want to get into a little bit more related to like the crusade, like just that whole idea of church right. history uh, after this segment. But um, 
but yeah, just to kind of put a bow on that, uh, it's in Matthew chapter 23. It's at the very beginning. Um, and you hear in, in Jesus's voice here, you hear the same God that was speaking in Isaiah mm-hmm. chapter 22. Um, so it says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. So if you find yourself in a situation where your church authority, and I'm talking about the Catholic church authority, which right. is the apostolic authority right. uh, or priestly authority for some, uh, if you find them behaving in ways that are not super respectable or are downright not a good way to be, um, they are still priests, they are still bishops, they are still the Pope, and we need to act in obedience and in respect for them, but we can still call to the carpet their own actions. Um, We, so we, you know, you know, the great example of that to me is that this whole child abuse situation. Oh, sure. You know, every priest who's been engaged in that and any non-priest, right? I mean, that's, that's horrible. Yeah. You got it. That is, that's, that's the worst of the worst. Yeah. Okay. Does that, but I, then I know people who then leave the church. Well, if a priest can do that, I'm out of here. Right. Well, wait a second. You know, nobody said priests can do that. That's just flat out bad. Yeah. That doesn't change the nature of truth. Right. It's that priest didn't live consistent with that truth. Right. So abandoning the truth because somebody else abandoned the truth yeah. does not seem like the healthiest response. And then the next level up from that is abandoning truth because you saw a bishop that out of fear and bizarre motives you know, may have allowed something to continue when it was right. brought to his attention. Like any of that kind of stuff, that is not reflective of the truth that is in the Catholic Church or the truth of their vocation and their their vow of celibacy and their 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 vocation is to love and to be Christ to everyone. And when they don't, they yeah. should totally get called out for it. Absolutely. Right? I, I mean, that, that's in order because we love the truth. Yeah, we should try to eliminate those things. Yeah, you know, but but I go back to the family example, which. I think is super important. A dad can do a terrible job, be yeah. a bad dad, but is still the dad. Yeah. And so the answer is, I'm not going to abandon the idea of family because there are bad dads in the world. Yeah. I'm going to try to help dads be better dads. Yeah. Right. And when we think about the priesthood, especially the papacy, call out bad popes. Let's be historically rigorous and understand what happened. Call it out where we need to, and then try to conform ourselves yeah. to the truth. While acknowledging that truth that... The, it's an office that has authority, not the person. Right. It's the person filling the office that through the office has that authority. But that person can be swapped out for someone else if right. need be. I, I will suggest one of the one of the factors leading to the Reformation, that great schism in the church, the fracturing of the body of Christ, was we had a series of really bad popes right about then. Yeah. And so many people were saying, why should I have to live with discipline, live with virtue, pursue justice if that guy's not? Yeah. Which that's a natural question to oh, ask. Yeah. Yeah, the answer is, well, you still need to. Right. But I get how, you know, you got some guy who's appoint, you know, when the Pope is appointing his son from his mistress in order to be a cardinal so we can lead an army against what there's a series of problems there. Totally. Yeah. Right. And so I have sympathy for people to ask those questions. I do think those popes, they're gonna be held responsible for oh for sure. The fracturing of the church for in sure. some form or fashion. But yeah. our 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 answer has to be to, in this I take from Christ very deeply, when something bad happens, the answer is not to get mad, it's to love more. Yes. We, we, you know, and if we can remind ourselves, which is not an automatic reaction, yeah. but if I saw something bad, I saw somebody here, I'm going to love more. I'm going to love the church more. I'm going to love the sacraments more rather than, you know what? 
Yeah. Peace out. I don't need your sacraments. That that is some uh, solid uh, micro content right there, well. Kirk. Brenna, write that down. That, that's a great line. If something makes you mad, love more. That, that is so good. That, that strikes. If we can do that, which, like I said, screw up every day. Seems like. Yeah, yeah. That, that's going to heal more wounds than anything else. I agree. So, okay, that's your Catholic Weird Stuff segment, everyone. Um, so, Kirk, give us a, uh, we don't have a ton of time left. Sure. You're the author of, is it three books? A couple, yeah, I've got a couple out there. Not all of them have to do with the faith. I wrote a book on how to make schnapps. But that's, hey, <laughs> hey if there. it strikes your fancy, go for it. You know? like but yeah, I have, you wrote one about the politics in Lord of the Rings. Is that correct? The legal systems in the Lord of the Rings, Narnia, and Harry Potter. You did all three of those? No, it's one book. Oh, it's one book. It's one book called Lex Fantasticorum, which is the name I totally made up. Who does that? I geek out. Kirk Ross. Kirk motherfreaking Ross does that. Because, you know, it turns out one of the things that makes fantasy so great is the richness of the worlds in them. Yeah, the world creation. There's actually legal references in all of those books and so i did it's not deep it's just it was just a fun fan lit kind of this is awesome well i know i know a couple of people that i i think would love that well it's it's yeah my, my my kids tell me they like it, so I'm going to go with that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the hosts of Elevate Ordinary here at Awaken Catholic, they, they might love that. Um, and then the third book uh, was your uh, your conversion story. Yes. I wrote a book called Despite My Best Intentions, uh, specifically because that was not my intention. Yeah, yeah. But um, I really wanted to write it for my kids because I wanted them to know that being Catholic wasn't automatic, mm. that, that that they can't take it for granted, that there, there was a path to walk there, um, wow. and that their mom and I walked together. Uh, and, and, and there's, you know, there's some chapters of theology in there. I'm like, this isn't just like what makes you feel good. This, this matters, right? Yeah, yeah. So I thought if I'm going to write it down, might as well That's awesome. uh, put it out there. So uh, I, I wrote that. It is, it's on Amazon. You know, I, I, I actually, it, it's funny, I, I put that book out and, uh, and a person in my extended family found it turns out she was investigating Catholicism secretly because she knew her family wouldn't like it. Oh she was my like, goodness. dude, no way. Are you serious? She is now happily ensconced in her parish as a Catholic. Oh, that's you know? so, so cool. It's just, it's just fun throwing the word out there. Um, so I, I write once in a while. I have a legal yeah. novel, a thriller out there, sort of John Grisham style. It's already published? There. It's already out there. So we got Amazon. four books I now. Four, yeah, I guess I got four books. Yeah. Come on, Kurt. No, what I, are you doing, I, man? I, I try to find time to write when I can. That's, but, uh, oh, clearly you're finding the time. You, know, you got four uh, books published. It's, it's, it's been a couple years. I'm, I'm working on the next one. So, Well, that's super yeah. freaking exciting. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay, so you, you have a passion for... Um, you know, studying, uh, like, I mean, even, even the work you did with your Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter and Narnia book, like that, that takes research that takes, uh, you know, a really methodical, Mm -hmm. uh, thinking. And and I, I'm really excited by the notion that you would, um, you would take a similar approach with something like church history. Uh, I, I feel like it, you know, people have addressed church history in the mm-hmm. past, but between your background, the, the the journey you've been on, the strengths you have as a as a speaker, as a presenter, as someone that delivers information, mm-hmm. um, combined with your passion for that type of research, I, I just feel like um, you addressing church history is such a cool idea. It, I find so much God reveals Himself in history. I mean, yeah. I, I think that's something we often forget. One of the things that makes Christianity so unique. Is that it's God walking with His creation through time? Yeah, you know, so a lot of uh, religions have God up there or gods up there, kind of doing their thing. Literally, God came to Earth. Remember, first chapter of the Bible: God is present with His people in the Garden of Eden. Wow, yeah. day one. Then we 
bleep it up, right? But yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, but then everything along the way, God's in the uh, the cloud and the fire in the synagogue, walking with the people of Israel. Um, Christ comes to earth Himself. Then we have Jesus present in the Eucharist. In history, Christ, God, is walking with His people. Is there a better story? No, I mean, it's pretty. I mean, that's fantastic. It's it's great. It's It's absolutely epic. It's great stuff. Yeah. So um, I feel like you know, and and you're considering launching a podcast on this topic. I am. Uh, I yeah, I, I, I feel like we should talk more about that. I think we're going <laughs> to. I think that's absolutely right. Um, but yeah, I just think that this is such a powerful thing. And I know, um, you know, not for nothing, I'm not saying this is a connected topic at all, but we've we've had people literally say to us, hey, it'd be so cool if you had a, a podcast well, on church history. Well, you know what I think is really important there? So many people today who are trying to fight the fight, trying to live the life, feel very alone. Yeah. Right. We're very isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to be faithful puts you in a real minority. Right. Yep. One thing history reminds us of, you're not alone. Mm. There have been people walking that walk, fighting that fight, trying their best to love the Lord the best they can. And if we can tell those stories, just to remind people today, bring it. You, you, you yeah. have an army of saints and witnesses praying for you, walking with you. They know how hard this is. Wow. Yeah. And they fell on their knees praying for you. So let's let's stick together and... Tell some of those stories. Oh man, pretty great stuff. That's that's powerful, Kirk. It's great stuff. That's powerful. Let's end on that note. That thank you so well, much for for being with me here on the show. Well, I appreciate uh, the invitation. I really hope I, I hope we see some church history stuff happen here. I think we can do that. Yeah, we yeah. can make that happen. Let, let's let's talk more. Absolutely, um, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this show. Uh, I have been Nick Delatore. This has been Kirk Ross, and this has been the Awakened Catholic Show. Make sure to uh, spread the word, share this episode, check out those ep- those uh, events we have coming up at the end of this week. Uh, and uh, if you want to support stuff like stuff, stuff, if you have Sean Connery all of a sudden, <laughs> if you want to support stuff like this, check out awakencatholic.org/slash/donate and join the Awakened Nation. Um, but before we go, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Amen. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.